1: Welcome, everybody. I'm Dustin Smith with, with Especially for Athletes. We've gathered a group of, of coaches, former athletes uh, at all levels of the game, college, high school, even professional, to get uh, together tonight and talk about a variety of different subjects. I want to introduce our panel to start. Cameron Stewart played college sports, was also a, coached in youth, youth football as well as high school football, he has been a friend of mine for 35 years. I've known him forever. Uh, Clay Charles is the athletic director and assistant principal at Bear River High School up in northern Utah. Shad Martin's been with especially for athletes since day one was a college teammate of mine. We played baseball together. you've all seen Shad before. Uh, Allie Bills was a professional basketball player, college basketball player before that at the University of Utah and a Division one basketball coach at BYU for how many years 12 years at BYU. Nate Wilson was one of the early members of especially for athletes he joined our program gosh probably the first day we started it and uh, which was 12 years ago you were young (laughs) and he and his brothers have been a part of the program ever since uh, and and he's now just your first year coaching high school football uh yeah yeah just getting into the high school football coaching thing and then Brandon Doman's been a friend of mine since high school uh been close to the program uh was a uh professional football player quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers and the quarterback coach for 11 years at BYU 8 years 8 years yeah. offensive coordinator for 2 yeah. so anyway that's our panel I have a variety of different subjects we want to jump into in regards to our four core principles of especially for athletes so i want to start off with the first principle of especially for athletes which is win the hour now we have a, a phrase we use with win the hour we say go 16 and 0 That refers to the 16 hours of the day that you're awake if you're sleeping eight, which we always stop right there and say that if you are an elite athlete or want to be, you need to sleep at least eight hours a day. So with that in mind, you're awake for 16. How do you win every hour of the day? Go undefeated, go 16 and 0. And I want to open that up to the panel here on what does that mean to you as a coach, as an athlete, Ali, I'll start with you and coaching athletes, being a high level athlete yourself. How important is it for athletes to understand this idea of being present, managing their day, making sure their days are efficient so it doesn't get away from
2: them? When uh, athletes come to college as a freshman, it's, it's so eye-opening because they feel like we're ready to go. They have all this energy. They've got this youth, and all of a sudden, they're more tired than they've ever been in their lives. They can't mm-hmm. wait to take a nap. They're, like, never taking a nap in high school, and they can't wait to take a nap in college. Mm-hmm. big part of that is just, you know, that... that Mental energy that it takes to get up and work out in the morning, to go to class, to be on time. There's just, it's a lot busier schedule than they're used to, plus the stresses of performing and getting to know new people in a new environment. And so, a big part of winning that hour that we really work with the freshmen, and it, it carries over as you get older, never changes, is just wherever you are, be there, be present. And when you're in class, be in class. And when you're at practice, be at practice. And coaches that want you to eat, sleep, and drink the sport you're going to anyway, but make sure that you have that balance so that you can give yourself a mental break and give yourself some some credit for the things that you're doing good and and not living in these moments of frustration and getting after a, a, a tough practice all of a sudden like just dwelling on that the rest of the night. Try to try to move forward and just be in the in the moment, and that really helps you mentally relieve a lot of stress in your life, but. Being present and winning the hour is really critical as an athlete, but just as a human being too, as a parent, everything.
1: Would you guys think that we have this growth in um, anxiety, depression and anxiety with really, we say youth, but it's really everybody, right? Even adults that are struggling from it. I think I could say that this idea of winning the hour, because you know, I've heard people talk about anxiety being either dwelling of ne- in negative things from the past or worrying about the future, both of which are out of our control. This idea of being present, Ali, like you say, or being in the moment is, I can't affect what's going to happen next week, and yesterday's over, and so all I can handle is what's happening now, and for our own mental health, but also as an athlete, Brandon, you are a professional athlete, and so my guess is when you uh, walked onto the facilities for the first day with the 49ers, you learned really quickly you
3: didn't have a lot of time to waste. Well, I'll never forget. I walked in the the building. And there were four Super Bowl trophies, and I'd been a 49er fan my entire life, and it just was so surreal. And and uh, the very first person I saw had his back to turned to me, with his towel on, and um, he he looked he didn't look like a human. He was so big and so muscular and so put together that I thought, there's no way. I figured for sure he was a defensive end. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to escape this guy. For the last 25 years of my life, I've been able to get away from these guys. There's no way I'm going to run away from that guy. And he turned around, and uh, it was T.O., Terrell Owens and I realized he was a wide receiver
4: and your receiver so, so, yeah. Yeah. So I thought,
3: I, if I just have to throw it to that guy then that's nice yeah, I can do that yeah. that's not gonna be very hard so
1: but he didn't just get there uh, he didn't become Terrell Owens uh, without
3: I'll tell you about about yeah. him he he would go out to practice every day he was the first guy out and he was the last guy to leave now he was he had a personality. People didn't know what to do with him because he he was, you know, he had some arrogance and some cockiness to him. My favorite player I played with. Um, and it wasn't because he, you know, I didn't care much for off-field antics or things like that, but that guy came to work every day, and he would wear what he called his work boots. He would wear these massive cleats, high tops. They were heavy. He would lace them up all the way, um, and he would go out there, and every single day... He would challenge somebody to a race. It was the most, fasc- most fascinating thing. He would, he throughout practice, he would find somebody and challenge him to a race at the end of practice. And he would work all day long in his work boots, um, with the idea that when it when it was game day, he was going to put on his real cleats, and his speed cleats, and that he would, he had outworked everybody else. And I, he clearly had. I mean, he was he was light years yeah. better. But I, I saw that at every turn in in the National Football League that. Those guys were there to make a living, most of them. Um, they were there to provide. They were there to, to take full advantage of the opportunity and what they ate, uh, what, how many hours of sleep they got, and the lifestyle that they chose to live. Most of them um, were, were living elite lifestyles. And and if you weren't elite, you didn't last. Yeah.
1: Well, and as a college coach, so maybe we can transition to your time as a college coach as well. I've coached for 20 years. You coached in college for eight um, I can t- can't tell you how many times I've had discussions with kids or had kids or a parent of a kid say, we'll do whatever it takes. We want it so bad. We want to be, you know, we want to make it to whatever college or high school, even just make or start on the high school team. And I can't tell you how many times I've then followed that up with, okay, well, what are you going to be doing tomorrow at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. or what time are you going to sleep or how many hours a day do you spend on Xbox or PlayStation or watching TV or, and, and the answers come back that you can't, you cannot say I want to be this and then be doing that. You can't play Xbox for four hours a day and at the same time tell me you want to be an elite baseball player. It doesn't work. You have to manage your day. And with all of the distractions that kids have now, um, I've I've talked to you probably before, we went to high school together, the three of us, but I've talked to you about this before, Cameron. (laughs) The modern day, or if we were to go back you know, 30 years to high school when we were we were in high school. Imagine walking around all day with somebody, this is the equivalent of your phone, you know, beeping or buzzing in your pocket all day. Somebody literally saying, hey, look at my picture. Look at what I just put up. Like it, like it. Did you like it? Look, I'm telling you to like it. You know, like it's just constantly bugging you. Of course kids are going to be fidgety and they're constantly being, how do we manage that, Cameron? You have kids, you have <coughs> kids that was football player, volleyball player. How do we get kids to be present?
4: And it's so, so hard because I think Most kids, it's funny too, because I think the longer that kids have devices and they start to use them, I actually, it reminds me of smokers. I've talked to a lot of kids that wish they could do less or wish they never started. And you literally are listening to him, going, you sound like a 40-year-old who's a smoker who wishes they could quit. Mm-hmm. But they like, but I can't because it's just become too much a part of who I am and that stimuli that I get every 30 seconds when I get a like or a mm-hmm. message or a ping or something, I'm just so conditioned to it. So it really is like a very real weaning process where you have to kind of like take it away layer at a time and they've got to trade it out with something else because that stimuli is what they're conditioned to. So how do you trade that stimuli out and say, okay, instead of, pings or a text or a message or a like or something going viral instead you're going to chase a different kind of high mm-hmm. you're going to chase a high in success in athletics or working out or in fitness or in eating well or in friendships or socially you just have to trade those that stimuli for something that's more productive and constructive because yeah. it's hard to just go without it anymore because they're so conditioned to it
1: well brandon i want to ask you and then clay i want to ask you something on this um is it being in education with kids currently but Brandon, tell me if I'm wrong, but there's, is there four? So Taysom Hill, John Beck, Max Hall, and one more quarterback that started in the NFL. That, I, that I had the opportunity yeah, that to you coach. coach.
3: Um,
1: John Beck, Max Hall, Taysom, are those the three? I, I thought it. there was one more. That Maybe that's it. NFL, that, may, that started a game in the NFL. I remember you telling me about Taysom first time I heard his name, because I remember you said it and I couldn't understand, Taysom, what's that? I've never heard that name before, but you told me you watched him stand underneath the basketball hoop, jump up and just hang on it from right underneath the hoop. Coaching Taysom versus his work ethic or Max' work ethic, like we talk about win the hour, were those guys, Austin Collie I know some, I've heard some stories about Austin who made it as a professional, as a wide receiver in the NFL, what was their work ethic, this idea of winning, being efficient with their day versus the kids who made it to BYU and then never saw the field, but maybe had some, some talent.
3: Well, those guys knew exactly what they wanted, um, and they were determined. They, they were com- absolute competitors. F- I would say fierce competitors. And um, there wasn't anything that they did where they weren't trying to win. I mean, if we're gonna do a bench press or we're gonna go out and do a cone drill, um, you know, I, I, Taysom was an absolute competitor. Max was probably the, the greatest competitor that I had the chance to coach. It wasn't – there wasn't anything – we would go play basketball, three and three basketball, and it was – I was his coach, and I was bleeding <laughs> by the time we were done playing, and, 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 and that's just the kind of guy that he was. But um, I, I really believe that uh, – let me just tell you one thing about Max, and this would be, I think, for any – any young man or young woman that's, a, that's trying to be great is um, he, he realized that John Beck who was playing in front of him was really good and that he was experienced that, that there were a lot of things that he wanted to mimic and to be able to duplicate and then ultimately improve upon and be better than and we were um, playing in our first bowl game um, as a staff at BYU and it had been a, been a few years since BYU had been in a bowl game and we were we were traveling down Uh, to play in this game and Max because he had transferred was ineligible to travel with the team so he didn't get to go to the bowl game we showed up to our first bowl game practice and this car pulls up and this kid gets out of the back seat of the car with the bag, and I get chills thinking about it and he comes jogging out onto the practice field it was Max he drove himself to the bowl game, showed up at our practice with his bag of uh, football pads and his helmet and his gear. <laughs> he stood behind the drills, and he mimicked John the entire practice. If John was doing a three-step drop and you know throwing a pass in seven-on-seven seven or skeleton drills, he was back there. And we have it on video. It was the most remarkable thing that I'd seen. He, he'd done that. All year, and he, and why would he stop now? Yeah. Just because we're at a bowl game and they don't get, they're not going to travel me. And we got practice. Yeah. So I'm going to be there at practice and get better. I, I still got the chills thinking yeah. about it. I love the guy, but he was back there practicing, and you know, again, like I said, brought his own own gear to the practice. And and I really believe that those that are going to accomplish great things are willing to put in great effort. To accomplish the things that they want to. Too many of us are pretending yeah. that we're going to accomplish something great. Right, um, and, and in fact, we're just not willing to win the hour yeah. and, and do the things that are necessary to accomplish what we really want to. And there's there's some secret sauce there, but why not accomplish it? We,
1: uh, we participate in the hour instead of winning it. Mm-hmm. You know, Shad, when we wrote our, our book, The Sportlight, Shad wrote about this in, in this chapter, um, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant would make 1,000 shots a day, which means unless he made every single shot, he was shooting well more than 1,000. And they weren't just free throws, these were game shots, right? And he, well, that's great. I, I, I could tell that story and somebody could say, well, he was hungry to make it in the NBA. And he knew he had a chance. He was athletic. So we went out. Now, this was after he'd already won a gold medal, been an MVP, made hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, was a captain, was an NBA champion. He would still go shoot. A 1,000 shots a day, and I remember Dwayne Wade telling a story when the day that Kobe passed away, they were talking about, Dwayne Wade told a story of Kobe Bryant missing a game-winning shot against the Heat and thinking he got fouled on it, and Dwayne Wade said, it it looked like we fouled him, we hit him on the arms, about a 15-footer at the buzzer, and Dwayne Wade was walking out of the locker room, and uh, one of the people in the hallway there said, hey, Kobe's in the gym shooting, he's back in the arena. So Dwayne Wade came around the corner and looked down the hallway, and he said he saw Kobe Bryant out there shooting the same shot he had just missed, but this time he had a trainer on the heat hitting his arm every time he shot the ball. The point being, I'm not going to, instead of making an excuse that I missed the shot and blame the ref, his, his opinion was, I'm going to make the dang shot next time. So teach me how, I'm going to, foul me as hard as you can, next time I'm just going to make it. He was upset that he'd missed the shot that he'd been fouled on, and instead of, Hoping he got bailed out next time. His attitude was, I got 30 minutes till the bus leaves. so well, I can go sit on my phone and, and complain about the restaurant. I can go out and learn how to hit that shot and get fouled. Um, as an educator, 26 years, assistant principal, coach, I know you've coached, the current athletic director. What's the difference? We'll move me up, uh, maybe transition into resiliency. Um, and, and then, Chad, I want you to talk a little bit about this. What are, What have you noticed the difference in in kids maybe from 20 years ago and now and and do you have a do you guys talk about this because yeah. we agree as a group there is a lack
0: of resiliency amongst current high school kids versus yeah
1: you know maybe 20 years ago
0: yeah and i don't know whether that's something that's that's just not been taught um or whether we naturally had it maybe when we were kids i don't know if i had something to with us going outside and having to to kind of fight, you know, yeah. I, you see the memes all the time, the 90s kids, man, our parents kicked us out of the house and we didn't come back in the house till the lights and the street lights went off, you know, we had yeah. to figure some stuff out. I don't know if kids just don't have that opportunity, but yeah, resiliency is a, is a huge deal. Um, we, we tend to, as our kids tend to right now when, when things go bad, um, one of their first things is to, well, I don't need to do that anymore or I need to give up. Um, some of the times it's a parent saying, well, Let's plow the road for you so you don't have any, any um, obstacles in your path. Um, and as a parent, I think that's one of the worst things we can do um, yeah. is to kind of snowplow that path. Let them have some adversity. It's okay to have some adversity. It's okay to fail once in a while. Um, our, our greatest lessons come from when we fail, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily when we lose, just like your story about Kobe Bryant. Yeah. I mean, he, he took that as a failure, but I'm, I'm going to go out and work on it. I'm not going to make any excuses. We're just going to keep, keep after it. Um, I love athletics for the fact that there's sort of a safety net that's built in in high school athletics, um, especially that kids can fail. And as long as they have, what other what greater support group could you have than your families? There, you usually have pretty decent coaches, teachers. That okay, if I fail, it's okay. I, I got people there to pick me up, and tomorrow it'll it'll be a new day. It's not that big of a deal. Um, but if we don't ever allow them to fail, they don't build some of that resiliency mm-hmm. themselves. Would
1: you agree that I don't think kids aren't? I mean, they're not they're not different than they were 20 years ago. We've rate, we're raising them differently. Yeah. Right. Like they're not any different. God didn't make them different. Right. right. So they're just being brought up in a world where Chad, talk about the fruit tree. And that's when he said that I thought about the fruit trees. Um, yeah. Story. <laughs>
5: we shared this on an earlier podcast, but if Cam, I still remember some of the comments you made, I look forward to those, but we, we had this peach tree in our house and I love peaches. And, uh, in Utah peaches are always in danger of being destroyed by a frost because they usually bloom kind of mid-April and then if it gets below 27 degrees for an extended period of time that's going to kill all the blossoms and uh, you're not going to get any peaches in the fall and so we got a weather warning that that was coming right and that there was going to be a, uh, a hard frost or a hard freeze is what they called it. So I went out, I had this old neighbor, you know, that was like a farmer guy, and I said, is there anything we could do to save our peaches? And he said, well, I've been doing some research. One thing we could do is we could wake up, and when it gets cold, we could go out there and we could mist our trees with water, right? And uh, as we mist our trees with water, it forms an insulated, like, sheet of ice around the buds, and it will actually keep them from falling below 27 degrees and then you have hope of keeping some of your buds. So, we decided we were gonna do that. We went out at like, in the evening, or in the, in the, yeah, it was three o'clock in the morning. And we had like, you know, like weed, um, the stuff yeah. The, the, yeah, the spray. So we, we start misting our trees, right? Well, this neighbor decides he's gonna put a sprinkler just at the base of his tree. And all he did was went out and he turned on the sprinkler, but then he fell asleep. And uh, so that sprinkler was going all night long. When I woke up the next morning, every branch on his tree, we have a picture of it, every branch on his tree was broken off because the weight of the ice had actually become so heavy on the branches that it broke every branch off the tree. And as Dustin and I, you know, I shared this with him and we were talking about we do that as parents sometimes and as coaches sometimes like a frost is coming to our kid or they're experiencing something and we want to insulate them but our insulation becomes way more damaging that tree never got peaches ever again they were so worried about getting peaches that they just never got peaches again and and I think that sometimes our desire to insulate our kids and we we've talked often Dustin how do we do that like what are some ways that we try to insulate our kids where the insulation becomes more damaging than the frost would have been and it's the just making excuses for them blaming everything on the coaches or the refs or that dad's a booster speaking in a sports realm in a school realm it's always the teacher's fault that you know bail them out I'll do this report for you but it's the last time I'm going to do it for you and we we try to protect them from consequences or from bad things but that protection that we provide sometimes is Way more disruptive than, yeah. than what they would have faced. In fact, I would say, oftentimes, it, like you were saying, facing the stress of a grade, or facing the the hard reality of not getting a part in a dance, or not not getting a starting on the team, facing those things are actually going to be good for them. They, it's not going to destroy their future. It's going to enhance their future if they build that muscle of resiliency to learn to respond yeah. to it appropriately. So. Nate, when you first um, when we first started,
1: especially for athletes, you were probably junior high, mm-hmm, right? Almost, Maybe yeah. right? Around that age. Mm-hmm. How old are you now? Uh,
6: Twenty-seven. Yeah, so that's 14, yeah,
1: fourteen, fifteen years. Um, when we talk, you've heard us talk about resiliency. I know you've studied resiliency yeah. as a young man in your twenties. You know, what What are your thoughts on resiliency and, and your generation's? You know, uh, how do we how do we how do you teach your kids? You know, we coming up here in the next little bit to be more resilient what do you think
6: yeah uh i think i mean average generation is just a little bit different I and mean, then you talked about like how generation, is taught, generation coming up now of that emotion is a bad thing or something to be ignored or just not talk about and when that happens you start identifying with the emotion and staying able to see what that emotion is so i think us being able to just sit with how we're feeling and being able to talk about it but also realize that it's not who we are yeah. um, and be able to have those honest discussions with our friends with our family with teammates um, is how we can um, sit in the hard stuff and realize how to get over it yeah. and be resilient
1: we have to admit that sometimes we're just not good enough and mm-hmm. but what am I going to do tomorrow to,
6: exactly. to get better
1: and
5: and and you don't get better unless you lose mm-hmm. you know I was reading a book about raising emotionally resilient kids and, and one of the things that the author pointed out is that we've labeled emotions as bad when really an emotion that a kid is feeling sometimes is perfectly appropriate for what they're going through, right? So someone is, is crushed after getting broken up with. That, that's actually a healthy response. But, so it's, it's okay to tell a kid, for example, after they lose a game. They're crushed by a game that that actually means everything's working really well. You should be crushed by it. You care. We care, yeah. yeah. And so sometimes we jump in because we're worried and we want to take away that feeling. And it's it's actually an indicator. Like, how do you know a smoke alarm is working? It's if if smoke comes and the alarm goes off, that that's good, right? You, that's what you want to happen. And it's almost like we want to silence alarms sometimes, and and that telling a kid, I'm glad you feel that way, that you're devastated after a loss, because that shows that you care, and the fact that you're reacting this way, that means things are working, like yeah. things are healthy. Nothing's wrong with you. It actually is a good sign yeah. that you're yeah. feeling those emotions. We
0: actually had a mental health professional come to our school. Um, <clears throat> we had some issues with uh, ideation, suicidal ideations. Um, um, we had 14 in less than um, a month. Um, it, it, it was kind of an epidemic for us, um, and we were trying to figure out a lot of stuff why, what's going on, and one one of the things that you just said, she said, she said, kids don't know how to sit in their emotions, that they don't understand that it's okay to have the emotion, what What are you going to do about it, or why did that emotion come to you, and, and, and let's talk about it just a little bit, or you could figure it out too, you can, you can feel that, um, and I think that's huge, I don't think kids i don't really want to sit in my emotions sometimes but i but but sometimes being able to say why am i so upset about this um really does help um and that's that's a that's a skill it's a learned skill that we have to start helping our kids
6: know how to do i totally agree because i think especially the generation coming up my generation we're addicted to control and addicted to certainty um that we want to have control over our emotions and one thing i've really learned over the last couple months is that you no know, we don't really have a lot of control over our emotions but we have control over how we act and according to those emotions and so to be able to just realize you know what this emotions what I'm having right now but it's not who I am and I can I can choose how I'm going to react to this is, is really important yeah, I love
1: that. Ali uh, in the realm of resiliency we did an event 10 years ago probably, you and I and Shad, we did an especially for female athletes where we tried to talk about some things that, the, these same subjects, but they are in some cases a little bit different for female athletes. Mm-hmm. I remember you talking about coaching female athletes versus versus male athletes and how they respond to being coached, especially, if, if I remember right, from a male coach. Mm-hmm. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about, in the, I mean, Women are just obviously more resilient in most cases than men, but when you're coaching a girl, um, how do we need to address this? Is there a different way to address resiliency with girls or to talk to girls or to in a game?
2: I think what's best to understand about women is women are pleasers through and through. And so even the most competitive, I'm very competitive, but I'm also a pleaser. So if I know you care, then the, the competitive spirit can come out more positively, and if I don't know if you care, then I'm gonna spend all my time trying to please you first. And I think that's with your daughters, with your spouse, it's like women will go through a brick wall if they know you care. But if they're constantly trying to prove themselves and trying to please the important people in their life, then you might never see that competitive nature because they don't feel safe. And when we talk about resiliency, along with the emotion and more, you know the generation older it's this acceptance of failure we we do this drill all the time it's called beat the pro and you have to you have to first do a favorite move of a pro the boys can go out they watch more basketball in general so they actually know who pros are to try to be like and girls are like i have no idea but just try something a move and boys will do things and they'll be creative and they'll compete with each other in a sense of just like who can be yeah more like the pro and the girls don't want to make a mistake quite robotic, and it's like just loosen up and, and, and allow yourself to be free, and it's allowing them to fail. And I think it's really important to be more of the verbiage, what did you do to fail today in order to grow, and allowing them to fail without feeling embarrassed. And again, it all comes back to pleasing, and, and it starts with them knowing that you care. And I don't think boys are that different. I think boys are super competitive by nature, but a lot aren't, especially the next generation, because everything's so visible, with social media and everything, that everybody's a little bit more protective of emotion and failure. And I have a friend that always asks their kids at the dinner table, what'd you do to fail today in order to be better? And they just bring it out right there. And, And I think it's really healthy because it can bring up emotion, as well as they tried something New.
6: Yeah. And
2: we learn when we fail. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of an approach yeah. with women that I think is misunderstood or missed in general to really get the most out of your female athletes. Um, it's just, it's the care factor.
1: They, they have to know you care because if, if, if I get on a, a female athlete for making doing something wrong in a basketball game, rather than hearing the criticism that I may have given, she's going to be affected at the fact that she just she thinks I'm disappointed in her
2: for sure here's a perfect example lady I played for at DU her name's Elaine Elliott she's just like she's hard-nosed she's she is a tough coach but I could totally foul somebody and she would get on that ref saying you didn't see it she didn't touch her as soon as I come over she's like keep your hands off her like it wasn't (laughs) yelling at me she had my back and then she corrected me and then she could expect more out of me because I'm like she cares she's got my back and then she can she can expect me to do more you know when you you in the game quit fouling she could be as direct as she wanted but she just she didn't humiliate me in front of everybody she she had my back she had no right telling the ref that i was a clear foul but you know that's a way to show that i got you
1: yeah Mm -hmm. well maybe that's a good segue since you were talking about refs and yelling at refs to our third (laughs) principle um compete without contempt um And I know we have a couple people that have some thoughts on compete without contempt, Cameron. You and I were speaking before we started recording. But so our principle of competing without contempt, we emphasize every time we speak, heavy emphasis on this idea that competition is good. And I believe that one of the things that maybe current generation or current age kids versus 20, 30 years ago is this idea that, you know, if you compete, if you're a competitive person, that you're selfish, you know that you want everything that you want to if, if you want to make a lot of money or if you want to be that something's wrong with you and that everybody should as long as you try you should get a first place ribbon and when the real answer is Giannis Antetokounmpo recently when they got knocked out of the playoffs you guys see when he got asked would you consider this year a failure and he got put his hands in his head and looked at the guy the reporter and said you asked me the same thing last year we lost but we only fail if we don't learn from this, right? We're it's not, not going to win it every year. If we don't learn from this ex- experience, then yes, it was a failure. But we want you to compete. But contempt, that turns us into cheaters. That turns us into, you know, maybe fault blamers. We'll we're, 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 we're maybe start cutting corners and doing things that we shouldn't do. Cameron, you told me a story about some rugby players that uh, I thought would be, you know, was fascinating. I hadn't heard that before. Share that with us about, and that tied really well into Compete Without Contempt.
4: Yeah, so contempt by definition is basically seeing somebody as lesser or lower, right? And so you can have this awesome mutual respect for somebody that you're fiercely competing against. One of the best examples of that. And I think one of the reasons we're nervous to have good sportsmanship is because we're worried that it will look weak, Mm -hmm. will look soft, and culturally that's frowned upon, right? And so... What I think is awesome is there's actually a lot of traditions in rugby and, and I don't, I mean, let's be honest, rugby players are like the baddest dudes on the planet. Yeah. They, they make every other athlete look pretty soft. <laughs> um, and these guys will literally step on each other's faces, destroy each other, bend each other's nose and ears for two hours, and then at the end they'll hug, I'll go to a pub together and just drink. And they'll buy each other drinks and they'll tell war stories. And remember that one time you broke my shoulder today? And they high-five and they hug and they say, let's do it again next week. And it's actually a really common tradition. And so I started thinking as I was reading about all these clubs that do this on a regular basis, if it's good enough for them to where they can compete, I mean to the death, and then still hug and have a mutual respect as a peer and say, hey, that was an incredible game. Let's go share a beer and uh, hug each other and tell some stories about it. I think the the junior in high school who plays for the local team can probably be a pretty good sport too yeah i'm pretty sure he's not above that i'm pretty sure that if these rugby players can be that way so can you know these these high school players that you know that somehow have this misguided belief of what sportsmanship is as as being soft or weak it's kind of funny brandon and i we were um when we beer or root beer (laughs) Root beer. Root beer. <laughs> yeah, they go to the local pub and get some root beer. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, sprites for everybody. Go to fizz, yeah. Pass a swig around, yeah. pump some syrup. like This is like the perfect real-life example of how dumb it is sometimes. Like, when we grew up, we went to a high school that was a really successful program, and our rival was a really successful program, too. And we hated each other because we were supposed to. Yeah. We'd see each other at spring break or parties, and like the, the Bloods and the Crips, we'd like circle each other and stare each other down and like kind of threaten fight each other and talk a bunch of trash. And then our last game, uh, our senior year ended. And all of a sudden football's over. And so we'd see them at the same parties. And because football was over, we'd kind of start to talk to them <laughs> and kind of start to get to know them and kind of realize they're a lot like us. And fast forward, A bunch of us were all college roommates together and like best mans at each other's weddings and like best friends, right? Stupid. We hated these people because they wore green and we wore blue. But they're actually probably the same guy you are. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, you know, because we were competing, they were lesser than us and we were cooler and they were weaker and we were better and they were inferior. It's just not true. They're just, they're great people too. They just happen to wear a different color jersey. So I think keeping that mindset I, it changes a lot when you can fiercely compete and still also mutually respect the guy that you're going against, and and probably you know off this field or court would probably be best buddies if we just knew each other.
1: There's a quote that Shad uh, <coughs> referred to in a presentation, and I've since said it almost every game as a coach before we walk out of the locker room. I've shared this quote with the the boys I coach, high school football team, um, by C H Chesterton. G G K G K Chesterton. Yeah. He said, "We fight not because." We hate what's in front of us. We fight because we love what's behind us. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we want to. There's nothing wrong with wanting to beat a team 70 to nothing. Get after it. Blow them out. I mean, go at. Go get it done. But we don't have to embarrass them in the process. We don't have to tell them how bad we beat them after. We don't have to try to humiliate somebody. We can. You can help somebody up. It doesn't mean you're soft. You don't have to stand over a guy. You don't have to cheat to win. Those same characteristics picked up in sports, by the way, parents when we, this whole idea that there's, you know, no mercy when you're playing somebody, when competing with contempt turns into, that would, might be summarized as tax fraud someday when you're older. Okay, illegal, doing business dealings that aren't honest and saying it's just business, right? When it was dishonest business, but it was, it was just, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. That's garbage. If you're cheating, you're cheating. Um, you do everything you can do within the rules to win and don't apologize for that. Um, you've told the story before of, of our, you know, of our football coach in high school. He wanted us to hit guys so hard. Oh, he best. would say this. It's not a, it's a little bit of a descriptive uh, way of describing this. But he said, "You hit that guy so hard, I want to see snot bubbles coming out of his nose." But then you help him up, and you say, hey,
4: "I'll see you on the next play." Right? Talk about demoralizing. <laughs> Blow a kid up, help him up, and say, "See you next yeah. play." Yeah. <laughs> They're like, "Oh man, You're this can be a long day." Yeah. After it, it's okay. Well, way
1: compete. better. We need we need people that compete. Life's competitive. If we te- tell our kids that you know, everything's going to be fair, it's not true. We're doing them a disservice. It is going to be competitive. But you don't cheat in the process. You do it with some integrity and with some honor. And, you know, and I know you have a phrase at your door. I, every time I come over to your house, I see it. I haven't told you that. He has a phrase at the door, return with honor. He wants his kids to live the, leave the house and return with honor. And cheating is you're, you're returning without honor. And we need to make sure that we're, we are teaching kids how to compete. That as parents, it's okay to compete. But as soon as we start telling our kids that they're better than somebody just because they're a better human being because they run faster, or they jump higher, um, you know, that's gonna lead to problems. And, and like you said, Cameron, someday those same guys that you wanted to hate on are gonna be your best friends and you know, they're gonna probably be your neighbors and you're gonna, you're gonna realize they were really cool people.
4: And then both of you were pretty average athletes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think, too, that contempt comes from the pressure parents put on kids to perform and be great, because I think you're out trying to prove something. As soon as you have confidence in your own ability, you start to compete and realize, there's something I can offer to make this person or team better, and there's something I can learn from these people that are as good or better. You start surrounding yourself with people that are better, you start training with your opponents if they're better, but... If you're insecure about your own abilities, that's when you have contempt yeah. because yeah. you're trying to prove you belong and it, or someone's putting you in a position that you feel like you have to compromise your values and everything in order to win. And so that has to be removed. You've got to find a way to believe in your own abilities so you can compete and know you have something to bring to the table but something to learn always.
4: And if you see him as inferior, you're sure as heck not going to want to learn from him. Right. Yeah. But we, did
1: a, we did a podcast with Eric Weddle He's going to be in the Hall of Fame here shortly, but you know one of the all-time greatest safeties to ever play football. And uh, this was before he went and won the Super Bowl. Was it two Super Bowls ago? Two years ago. But Shad and I did an interview with Eric, and he told a story, and it fits with this. Where he said when he first got to the NFL, he would ask other safeties on his team for help. And he said these guys would look at him like he was crazy. I'm not helping you. You're here to get my job, right? The You're the, it's a business. You're the rookie. They drafted you to take my job. Probably. Am I going to help you? You figure this stuff out on your own. And so he did and he figured it out. But then as he got older, he said he took pride in telling the younger safeties, even guys on other teams after games, hey, try this or try this. Or if they drafted somebody to be on the team and they were doing drills that he would go over and tell, hey, I like to do this. It helps me take a better angle or whatever. He would teach this. And then he followed this up with it was just awesome because he said, as soon as I gave them my sort of bag of tricks, I now had to learn a new one. So that would drive him to have to get Love better that. because he knew I just gave them something that took me years to understand. Now I got to figure out something else if I'm going to keep my job. And so that would drive him the next day to get up early and get back so at it. Good. As soon as he started to feel like he was you know, going through the motions, he knew oh, yeah, this guy knows all my secrets. So I got to go find new ones. And that's that idea of compete. But it's okay to without contempt. Um, but nothing wrong with competing. This guy is one of the most competitive dudes I've ever you know, played with and seen play, and and uh, you know, Brandon. I think that's probably why those guys you just mentioned took on your personality as a coach.
3: But are we? Is it bad to teach kids to be fierce? I, I'm just sitting there thinking, there are times that I would like to have back when I probably had more contempt and, than I did in competition. But I, you know, maybe not. <clears throat> I, if there were many times where where I would go three quarters and they would just be at me and drilling me and, and tr- trying to do everything they could possibly do to to break me emotionally or, or to to rattle me or to get to me get me to respond and and i think more often than not i i didn't respond but i look back at some of the times where probably honestly in the times where we did we did succeed and we had some wild success in some moments and there were moments and and i would i would lose my my composure and maybe say something back to an opposing you know, player or somebody in, in moments when, was it really needed? Did that really need to happen? Did it make me feel any better? Did that, that make me bigger than him in the moment? Um, but I, I, I really believe um, that when I said compete fiercely, um, I, I don't want to do it any other way. I, I just I don't find joy in it. Um, and maybe that's weird to say that, but no. but I, I if I'm going to compete at something or you know start a business or we're going whatever we're going to, going to do, that, then um, who who are we competing against? You know, how how do we win? Yeah. Is there a possibility of winning today? And and I think we have to be really careful of defining what winning is. Um, and, and I've gotten better at determining what that is for me as I've gotten older. Um, but it really is a joyful thing to get up in the morning and know what I'm aiming to accomplish today, and be competitive in that approach, um, and then go get after it. Um, and I, I was raised as a little kid from the very beginning that that if your mind could conceive, can, if your mind can conceive it, and your heart can believe it, then you can achieve it. But the hardest principle in that in that phrase is to how do I get my heart? To really believe it and uh, the competition part of that is, is is a critical aspect the other thing I wanted to say is being a parent is the greatest life lifelong teaching university that I've ever participated in and we make mistakes and I've said this several times here recently if we parent in fear we fail but if we parent in faith usually we succeed in our efforts because we're we're coming from a different place that is not about us and being an outward thinking person versus an inward thinking person if you're competing that way like Ali said then you're trying to figure out how do I contribute how do I be a great teammate and how can I make this a better circumstance for everybody and as a parent um, Gosh, my hat's off to every mom and dad right now and, and what that looks like as a parent. We, we say we're parenting them differently. It is not easy to be a parent today. So um, we, we, we compete with knowing what winning looks like and we do it with faith rather than fear. Um, and I don't think if we live our lives or we compete in faith versus fear, but we're going to do it very often in contempt. I think we'll do it with our eyes up Understanding who we are and what we're doing, and and that principles had a significant impact on,
1: on my life. When we really think about why we're doing this, Shad wrote a, a a blog years ago that went viral. It's been downloaded and shared millions and millions of times. That simply said why I don't pay for dance anymore, and then it got rewritten and plagiarized, and why I don't pay for softball and volleyball, and a bunch of people took credit for it. But Shad wrote it why I don't pay for dance anymore. Well, Chad, explain the whole purpose of that because in my mind that really was this idea of, of you know how p- parents really if we step back, why am I really doing this? When you uh, I thought of this, Brandon. When you said we have to define what winning is, um, you cannot win the trophy, and you could win in the development. The, the lessons you learn, uh, your kid could win the trophy and have lost. He didn't learn the lessons, or she didn't really learn the lessons that are going to make her resilient enough to handle. The real life problems that are coming after people you know file out of the bleachers and real life hits her in the face. Shad, "Why do you not pay for dance anymore? We have three daughters, they've all done dance. Explain that.
5: Yeah, well, it was prompted by someone coming to our house for dinner, and they said, "How much do you spend? A month for dance?" And we told them,
1: by the way, I have three daughters as well. it's a heck of a lot of money. <laughs> yeah.
4: Picture like a beautiful second home in the Hamptons. <laughs> yeah.
5: So, so when, I, when I told them how much we paid, they, they basically told me I was crazy, right? Like, why in the world would you do that? And I reflected on that, like I really thought, it is kind of crazy how much we're paying for dance, right? But I was picking up my daughters from the dance studio and I had about a half an hour there in the parking lot. And I started to think, why do I pay for dance? And what I realized and why I wrote that is I'm not paying for dance. Like, honestly, I grew up in a family of four boys and no girls. And I know there's boys that dance. That wasn't what my family did. Like, dance was zero part of my life. I could not care less about dance. So why did I invest so much in it? It was the things you were talking about, Dustin. Like, I wanted my girls to have the lessons that came from dance, the making of friendships, the dealing with the part they got instead of the part they wanted and trying really, really hard at it. The staying off of their phone and being on a stage instead of in front of a screen. The, the times when they were too tired to go to dance. But they had to go. Like, you have to go. And, and those, for me, those things, what I wrote in that blog was that's what I was paying for. And I really believe to this day, now that they've, that was 10 years ago or so, it was a great investment, right? Like yeah. those things that they learned from sports, from dance. I have a daughter now that does tennis and doesn't dance. Like, but I see the same thing. I don't care what it is that we're all paying for here. We aren't the, the parents that have problems are the ones that are paying to be able to post about their kid on Instagram to bring positive attention back to them as a parent. Like, that's what some parents are paying for, even though they're not saying it. And those are the ones that are screaming and yelling and making excuses and competing in the wrong way and teaching their kid to hate that kid that got the part that they wanted and talking bad about the kids on their own team. Those things come when we're doing it for the wrong things. Yeah. Because sports bring incredible lessons. And if we'll just pay for the lessons and sit back and let it happen and help our kids – Learn to respond. We love that equation, Dustin. We use it often that uh, Ohio State football used for a long time. E plus R equals O. Event plus response equals outcome. And we don't have control of outcome, we don't have control of the event all the time. But our kids always have control of the responses. The great thing that sports brings into their life is the opportunity to have many events that they have to learn to respond to. Mm-hmm. And if that's what we're paying for, then it's going to be an incredible invest, investment whether they ride the bench the whole time and fight to get in a lineup that they never get in. Like, if they respond the right way, they're going to take things with them from sports that are going to be so valuable for the rest of their life. But if we're all outcome Instagram focused, then that's what I think produces these parents that respond in the wrong way, that are so worried about their kid getting called out on strikes by a bad caller. It's all about that, that outcome yeah. when. When for me, sports is all about responding to the events and having all those opportunities to do it. And I love what the, it's provided for my kids—all the disappointments, all the joys, all the hard practices, everything that they've had to work through. I love it. I would pay for. I'd pay more for it than what I've paid.
1: So I'm starting up a dance uh, program. Would you like to have your daughters come and be part well, of it? If you're willing it, to pay more. <laughs>
0: got <laughs> an idea, yeah, I had
1: an idea what you said twice the life lessons, or twice the tuition <laughs> yeah, yeah. well our our last principle and and that was again another good segue when you brought in social media um we refer off our last principles by the way is seek to bless not impress and we'll kind of summarize that quickly but um there's a book we refer to regularly and especially for athletes called IGen. it's a book that i've talked to division one athletic directors about and coaches saying all your coaches I think should at least read the first half of that book. I think all parents should read it. It's referring to what we have now, I'm full in line 100% with this. It's not Gen Z, it's Gen X or whatever they are. What are they now? Gen Z? Is it now? They're Gen I. It's I-Gen. This book refers to kids born around or after 2007. And 2007 was the invention of the iPhone. And studies have shown, if you read this book, I'll summarize it quickly, studies have shown that generation to generation, there are certain questions that they'll ask 18-year-olds and they they have tracked the answers and and just habits and things. And there's these ebbs and flows to it. Um, It changes a little bit. 2007, things started getting really off the charts. Um, Why was that? Things like 18-year-olds moving out of the house. How often do teenagers go out on the weekends versus stay at home? Um, how often how uh, 16 year olds how many of them will get their driver's licenses when they turn 16 versus not um, anxiety depression drug use all these different things what they have found is that the i are off the chart when it comes to a handful of things one being they don't go out as much they don't get their driver's licenses as much they don't move out of the house as much they're more tolerant and accepting of other people uh, they're also more depressed more anxious And this doctor believes, and I I agree with it, I don't know how you scientifically prove this, but she believes, it makes sense to me, that kids have half as many conversations with human beings now than they would have had before 2007 when they couldn't text or message or snap. Because before 2007, Things like Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and, and Snapchat and all these things didn't exist. If I wanted to communicate when we were growing up, maybe not you, but when, when we were growing up, if I wanted to communicate with these guys, which I did all the time, I had to call their house. And I had to put a quarter in a machine and call and see if they were there. I couldn't just text them. I, could, I had to have a conversation with, their, with you know, the dad of the girl I wanted to ask out on a date. I had to talk to him. I couldn't just text her or snap her. So they've had half as many conversations with other human beings. Because of that, this doctor believes that their brains are three years less developed when they graduate high school than somebody 20 years ago. So when you're talking to an eight, that's why, and I want to just ask you three in particular with education, with coaching, I can say from coaching kids from 15 years ago or so before 2007 and coaching kids now, when an 18-year-old graduates high school, you're talking to the, a 15-year-old socially. So imagine an 18-year-old, or excuse me, imagine a 15-year-old now being asked to go live away from home, live out of the country, uh, go to a different school, out of state, that there may be some anxiety. There may be some extra fear. It would be hard for an 18-year-old, but when you're a 15-year-old socially, because you've had half as many interactions with other human beings as maybe we as adults, as parents don't see that, we say toughen up. You're being soft. Why are you crying? Why is it so hard? Tough enough. I did this. They're different. And we, Brandon, to your point about parents trying, we weren't given a game plan on how to manage kids with this new social media world. They didn't say when, you know, when my daughter turns 20 this year, oh, by the way, most of her life is going to be with all of this stuff. This is how you handle it. We don't know. So we're figuring it out. By the way, I've asked kids this recently. I asked this at your school. I asked kids at your school remember this, you, you'll remember the response. How many of you will let your kids have social media when they turn 12 or 13 or something? Raise your hand. You remember? Yeah. I think all but one person, one or two, said they would not let their kids have social media. Knowing what you know now, would you let your kids have access to social media like your parents let you? And they all said no. It, to me, it reminds me of you know, 40, 50 years ago when we would see people smoking and public buildings in a restaurant or in the airport planes. Or planes yeah, yeah. <laughs> next or, <to> <laughs> yeah or not wearing seat belts you know a, a, a mom holding a child in the past just holding we would lose our minds right now why aren't they in a car seat or something or why are we smoking in an airplane well we grew and now we look at that and say that was crazy but back then they didn't know right we didn't know that all this stuff is as damaging it as it is well now we know so from speaking to thousands of these kids, I guess I kind of look right in the camera right now, parents, we know that's not healthy for them, we know they shouldn't be on it as much as they are, we know it's affecting them, so get off of it. Don't give it to them, manage it, have the fight if you have to have the fight. But if you give your son Twitter, here's an example, you give your son Twitter, he will find pornography. You give him Instagram, he will find it. So if you want to keep your kid off pornography, I'm telling you, if you don't monitor what he's doing with Twitter, he will find pornography. It will find him. It will find him, right. exactly. So we can say, yeah, but he'll, feel, he'll be different. He won't be able to, he won't. My son's 16. He doesn't have Instagram. He doesn't have Twitter. He doesn't have TikTok. He's doing just fine. He's still able to communicate with people. He's still playing sports. He's surviving without that. Uh, it's something that we can, we can no longer sit back and say, well, I didn't know this was dangerous. We know it is now. So that excuse has to be, we know. It's just, are we willing to do something about it? Are we just going to keep you know, saying somebody needs to do this? We say keep your eyes up and do the work. Eyes up, see something. We're aware of it, awareness. Now we've got to do the work. Um, seek to bless, not impress. We live in a selfie world. We, you alluded to it, Chad. Our son or daughter hits a home run. We can't get to Instagram fast enough to post it. What happens when little Johnny doesn't play baseball anymore? He doesn't get the scholarship. And no longer gets those compliments at church, or gets those compliments because, you know, in the community, what happens when he sees dad disappointed in his son because he didn't get the scholarship, or he didn't get all state, and that's been his identity for 18 years? I'm supposed to be Johnny, the baseball player, who goes on to be Mr. you know college baseball player, all state. Now he's not. What happened? It was I, my guess is I know the last game I played baseball game in college, I wept like a baby after the game when I knew I wasn't going to be playing anymore. I'm sure when you realized it was over and you weren't playing anymore and the dream would come to an end, all of us, but imagine if our whole life had been broadcast to thousands and thousands of people. That mistake we made, that one game that only 500 people that were in the arena saw it, is now seen by 500,000 people and it goes viral and everybody's seen. it. Imagine the pressure that's on that, remember, 15-year-old, not 18-year-old, 15-year-old socially. And then if they come home and they don't see it, if we don't put our arm around and say, hey, the you Lost or you made that mistake, but look at all the things you learned. If we say it's all about the winning and the losing, or we're disappointed because we can't post about them, we can't be complimented this weekend because son had struck out four times, so I can't post because I never see the post about the kid that struck out four times. I've never seen dad post that. I want to just say how proud I am of my son for going 0 for 20 today from the, from the foul line. I never see that, right? Um, and so. When we seek to bless, not impress, one of the things we can do, I believe, be less, teach our kids and us as just adults as well, maybe be a little slower to tell everybody how great our life is and to take the picture to perceive that we're living this great life. And if we are going to use social media, I'm not saying don't use it. Um, We have to be careful with it. But let's use it to find good things and to maybe highlight other people. Right? If you have a game-winning touchdown pass in a game, instead of showing it as soon as you get home, thank your line, thank your coach, thank the cheerleaders, thank the people that came to the game, recognize them. Um, but we do, the sport light, we call it, especially for athletes, is brighter than ever on kids. You were in a higher, you and Allie probably had the brightest sport light of the, the, the table here because you guys played professional sports, high-level college sports. The light got brighter on you because the level you went to. Then um, it turned off and you know most people now if you walk around don't remember the games that you played or the games that you play we're just now kind of doing our thing kids now the sport light as I mentioned because of social media and the internet it's seen by thousands and thousands of more people it's extra bright so the, the, the highlights are magnified but also the low lights are magnified the embarrassment is higher and if we don't our idea Shad. Um, maybe I'll let you kind of finish this uh, seek to bless, not impress. Why is that something we
5: need to be careful or we need to encourage our kids and we as adults to be more focused on? Well, we love the word seek. I mean, every word in that phrase is important, but when we think of someone seeking to bless, not just uh, casually, yeah, casually letting it happen. Or I, I spoke to a group of dancers at this big dance camp a couple of weeks ago. And, and I said, you know, it's one thing to be looked up to, it's another thing to be a leader. And, and I think that because you're good at something, there's a lot, of, a lot of people. I remember when Brandon was in his heyday, right? And so many kids, I mean, looked up to Brandon, right? And that's awesome. That's the sport light. But it's another level to take that attention and then to lead People in good directions with it and we try to teach athletes to not just try to impress people not just have the goal be you're awesome you're so good at this sport or even with our good kind acts they could do that if they're posting about their kind acts all over social media it's like when we when we get into that I'm gonna impress people mode I think we get into a mode where we're always going to be disappointed because the truth of the matter is I remember Bronco Mendenhall, I remember your coach one time telling a story where they started out 4-5-0, or 5 and 0, were in the top 10 in the country. And he would go into grocery stores and people would bring their kids up to him and want him to sign autographs and introduce their kids, take pictures with them. He couldn't even go shopping, right? But then they went and lost a game that people felt like they shouldn't have lost. And um, he went to the grocery store and someone walked up to him an old gentleman walked up to, I guess gentleman's probably not a good phrase but <laughs> walked up to him and said you're a disgrace to the university and you should be ashamed <laughs> his, is wife, his, his <laughs> wife is there right this was a you fan probably and, and, so, <laughs> <laughs> and uh but think about that like I know that he was a more purpose-driven man than to have outcomes be everything but but what we learn in sports in our life is when we try to impress people, even when we win sometimes, there's going to be people who are not very impressed, right? Yeah. Or people on the team, you, you get the, the winning shot or the winning hit or whatever it might be, and they think, oh, they're a ball hog. They're, like, we can never please everyone. So it's an endless disappointing pursuit to try to impress people anyway because yeah. usually the negative stands out to us ten times more than the positive. But I love the idea of just seeking to bless, seeking to lift people. Wherever you go, just let whoever's brought into your path that day be better because they were brought into your path. And when we start living our life that way and we become independent of people's opinions or, or what they think of us, it actually is empowering. And it becomes, but it becomes less depressing to live in this yeah. world. But I think social media has made that so much worse yeah. because... Because when we try to impress people, there's a measure there on how much we impress them. <laughs> we put something online, even a simple picture. And it's like, wow, man! So and so puts a picture online. They get like all these comments, all these likes. All the look what I just did. It's not very impressive. I'm not a very impressive person. That could be sad if we if we surrender our self-worth <coughs> to other people's opinions. Yeah, that's going to be super damaging to our self-esteem, and I think that's what. Social media is done. So, if we just take that first part and just wake up every day and try to make people better because they came in contact with you, like scientifically, not just the right (coughs) thing to do, but scientifically, that will make you a happier, better person if you live your life trying to lift rather than trying to be lifted up, trying to be recognized. It's just a healthier way to live and a happier way to live.
1: Brandon, your son. We'll finish on this. Your son spent a couple weeks away from social media. The words, exact words you said to me an hour ago was, he was a different kid, came back a different kid. Why? Why do you think that? Tell us that quick story.
3: I asked him at the end. He, he went to the Samoa to go on a humanitarian experience trip, and, and um, no cell phones, no access to media, t- Televisions. Or so, everybody
1: like that. that he helped or served, he couldn't go on and tell everybody that he helped and served them.
3: 16, there were, I'm sorry, 23 16 to 21 year olds together, um, half young men, half young women. Um, and the reason he went was because he had realized for himself that he needed to do something for somebody else. He had spent so much time worrying about himself, and that, you know, to his credit, maturity of understanding that that's what's caused me my pain that's what's caused me so much challenges um i've been so worried about me that i can't get out of my own way and Mm -hmm. to be able to put that away from (coughs) and go focus on other people i said what 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 changed you and he said people (laughs) that was his answer (laughs) people i he says they told they i was awarded the best laugh that's what he said, and he's got a great laugh. I think my family might be the only ones that have heard that laugh in the last handful of years, and, and I say that, and yeah, but 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 really, he would admit to that. And uh, he said, "I got a real, awarded the best laugh." Well, how in the world, people are going to know you laugh and you got a great laugh unless you're with people and engaging and doing mm-hmm. things. And so, uh, it's interesting watching him come home because he he doesn't want to just go back to the same person he was and he wants to have roommates now and he wants to ex- go work and he wants to experience being with people and um, I'm so grateful for that and I'm hopeful for his sake that he'll, he'll keep doing that and, and he would never have gotten there he would have never arrived in that moment had they said you're going to have to leave your cell phone here we'll give it back to you in Fiji on your way back but it's not leaving Fiji, or it's not leaving this bag until we get back to Fiji, and then you have to call your dad on the phone. <coughs> so it's 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm laying there sound asleep, and my phone rings. And it's him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he must be in Fiji. I pick it up and I said hello, the best I could. He was so animated hmm. and so excited. I'm like, who in the world am I talking to on the phone right now? And I thought the thought occurred to me. Match his enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. That was what I th- thought at two a.m. in the morning as a dad. See if you can match that's his. enthusiasm <laughs> well, that's <is> awesome. <laughs> <He is so laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's so great. I'm so happy for you. What an, you know, I'm so happy to hear your voice. And um, he would have never gotten there with mm-hmm. with uh, out removing him, himself from the dungeon that has been created for him inadvertently unwanting but it's been a big part of his life and and there's a lot of us that are living in an isolated environment where we don't know how to get out of it and and really um in most instances of those that i speak with they just want to serve they just i just want to do something that's meaningful and i want to have an impact for good and i want to serve people so seek to bless and, and not impress is really at the core of true happiness. And I think he found it for 16 days. And I hope he doesn't
1: lose it. Well, an ath- being an athlete will give our sons and daughters more of an opportunity because of the sport light. They're going to be, people are going to know who they are. They're going to be watched. And as parents, I think if we just get out of the way a little bit more, understand that our kids are going to struggle and that's okay. Um, Teach them to win the hour. Teach them to be resilient, to compete without contempt, to seek to bless, not impress, to keep their eyes up and do the work. That uh, sports will be something that can help them as it's helped us um, for the rest of their life. Appreciate you joining us on the Sportlight podcast and uh, joining us for this roundtable. We hope you'll keep listening to the podcast episodes. Hope you'll follow us on social media. Come to our events. Uh, Look into our book, The Sportlight. You can buy that at e4a.org. And uh, appreciate all of you guys joining us for this. Eyes up, do the work.
0: This has been the Sportlight Podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at Especially for Athletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at Especially for slash book.